Sportsnet today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. All right, let's get it going on a Thursday. It's June 8th with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. Another hour of Sportsnet today. Hi, Vix. Hey, buddy. What's shaking? Not much. Uh, we've got another big name to uh, talk about Ooh. on the trade market. we got Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Ooh. Final on Thursday night. we got the Canadian Football League season Ooh. starting on Thursday night. We'll get into all of that this hour. But the first place I want to start is, is with some uh, NHL trade discussion because Pierre-Luc Dubois' name is all of a sudden out there. The Jet Center Iceman is an RFA right now, or will be on July 1st, and is one year from UFA eligibility, one year away from being eligible to hit the open market, and has reportedly asked for a trade out of Winnipeg, which I don't think surprised anybody. The first place we all think is Montreal, no question. Uh, but there are other spots potentially that could make sense. Are there other spots that could work for Pierre-Luc Dubois? Here's uh, Elliot Friedman. This was Sportsnet's NHL Insider on Thursday's Jeff Merrick Show, which is up now wherever you get your podcasts and is live every day from 10 till noon here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This was Elliot on Pierre-Luc Dubois on the Jeff Merrick Show earlier. I think Winnipeg's big challenge with Dubois is going to be, can you convince other teams out there that that there's a market for him beyond Montreal. And, you know, like, I don't think it's only Montreal for Dubois, but I, but I think we all believe no. it is his vast preference is to, is to end up there. So if you're Montreal and you think that's the case, you're not paying a ransom for him. And I think the most, the most interesting thing there is, you know, I, I think there's teams out there looking at this like we got one more year of a really tight cap. If we're a good team and we think he can help us for a year, let's go for it. Like, I know last year there were teams that looked at Dubois and said, hey, if we only get him for two years, we'll take it. But what's Mm -hmm. that trade look like? Uh, I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest questions. So the interesting thing here is that there is this feel that he wants to be in Montreal. And we have seen, I'll give you two examples recently okay. of, I, I, yeah, I can think of two, where a guy has wanted to be somewhere, one place in particular has kind of, you know, because of the circumstances, has the ability to leverage himself to that place. In fact, I can almost think of three, but definitely two that, and they've all been the same team. But I think of two players recently in the last decade or so that have been like, I want to be a New York Ranger. And the New York Rangers have somehow found out about this because tampering wouldn't allow them to actually find out. But their ears must have been burning. I say that, of course, in jest. But Adam Fox wanted to be a New York Ranger. Who? Guy who played at Harvard. Don't don't remember who drafted him. But he wanted to be. didn't want to be a Carolina Hurricane. Okay. Didn't want to be the with the team that drafted him. Okay. I forget who that was. Um, so wanted, to be, wanted to be a New York Ranger. And Tim Erickson wanted to be a New York Ranger. Now, a vast difference in the player. One's a Norris Trophy winner. One, I think, has played 20 NHL Is games. Is he still or playing? Uh, he may not even still be playing. He's definitely not uh, affiliated anymore in the NHL. Um, Does... Patrick Kane counters this and a special that was, circumstance. Kane was the third okay. one. That, All again, New York Rangers. Same team. Uh, he played, uh, by the way, Erickson uh, played in the Swedish Hockey League last year. Um, 
And in really, you know, especially the Fox case, you didn't, you have this very, very intriguing prospect who was only going to sign in New York. You didn't get a huge return for him. You know, the Flames are able to get a couple of second round picks, I believe, for Tim Erickson when they moved him to the New York Rangers. And the Patrick Kane deal, there was a lot that went into that, especially the $10.5 million cap hit that he carried with him to the Rangers. But again, you you don't get a ton of return when there's only one place to be. So if, if it's true and Pierre-Luc Dubois only wants to go to Montreal, how do you maximize a trade if you're the, if you're the Winnipeg Jets? It puts them in a tough situation. Well, what I do is I let him go to arbitration. He gets a one-year award. And if you're not going to get anything this offseason for him, just make sure that he doesn't have any trade protection. Keep him around. And then move him at the trade deadline, knowing he's going to be an expiring contract, knowing he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, knowing that he's going to be able to pick and choose where he wants to go because right now he's in the exact same situation. And if he's only picking one team, if it's the Montreal Canadiens, then yeah, if I'm the Montreal Canadiens, I'm going... Well, why am I giving up anything for him at all? I know I'm going to have him in 365 days, and our window hasn't opened up yet. Why am I going to give you a first-round pick, or why am I going to give you a promising prospect? We're not ready to compete just yet, so why am I going to give up an A-quality asset to bring this guy in when I know July 1st, 2024, I can do exactly that, and it doesn't really change your plan at all if you're the Montreal Canadiens. Now, if there are multiple teams that he's willing to go to. And it's funny you bring that up because Jeff Merrick did say on on his show on Thursday that he believes that the Minnesota Wild would be a team that PLD would be interested in going to. The New York Rangers would be a team he'd be interested in going to. The Rangers are all over this all the time. The the New York Rangers just, they're they're like, we play at Madison Square Garden, we're in Manhattan, you want to play here. They kind of have that in their back pocket. Yeah, we're the Rangers. But still a level of... Being anonymous as a player there to a certain degree, I would suggest. Yeah. So you get the big city life, you get the biggest city in North America, and you can still go to the grocery the store. Mo- it's the most famous. It's the most famous city in the world. You get to be a millionaire there. Uh, you get to live in Manhattan, and yeah, you don't have. You're, you're not. I understand it. You're not a Nick. You're not like you know. You're not. You're not a Yankee. You're not a Yankee. You're still a Ranger, but it's a little bit more anonymous than perhaps some of the other. Um, and you're, you're not a, you're not a multi hundred million dollar hedge fund manager. You know, hey, it's pretty guy. I would imagine to be a pretty good life. My point is, I, I just wonder how Winnipeg maximizes this trade. And, and the point that Elliot makes there, do they still trade him to a team that they don't have a contract extension worked out for? Do they move him to a team that they're like, yeah, we may only get him for one year and use that year to try to convince him to stay longer. Um, you know, I don't know if Buffalo or Columbus, I know he was drafted by Columbus. Well, he know, did request a trade out of Columbus yeah, as well, so I don't, I don't, that's but, completely valid. But what I'm saying is I don't, I don't know if there are, like, you have to pick and choose your spot. I don't know if, if Buffalo or, or Columbus or, you know, Ottawa is going to be a team... Calgary, that he's like, yeah, I'm going to resign here. Montreal, clearly, there, there seems to, well, it doesn't seem to be. There is a ton of momentum for that. Maybe there's another spot. Maybe it is, maybe there's no interest initially to sign with the Rangers, but you trade him there. He plays well in, in Manhattan midway through. He's like, yeah, you know what? I'm willing to resign here long term. I wonder if Winnipeg explores something like that if Montreal is the one spot that he's dialed in on. If I'm Kevin Sheveldayev, I'm holding him. 
because again, if it's only one team, one location, he's willing to. You don't have any leverage. You don't have any. It's not a negotiation. It's the Montreal Canadiens saying, "Hey, this is what will kick you for giving us a one-year head start on this process by giving us the chance to do an eight-year deal." I guess it would be as opposed to the seven next. But I hold. I just hold him, and he can be disgruntled in my organization as long as he doesn't poison the well. I just hold him. And then as we get closer to the trade deadline... So you take him to ARB, and, yep. or you just give him his QO and go from either, there? Either or. Yeah. Like He doesn't have to accept his QO. For sure. So, yeah, I just give him the one year that'll walk him to unrestricted free agency, knowing, and take that time, and if you can convince him over the course of the next six or seven months to sign that extension and stay in Winnipeg, then you've given it your best shot. And if he says no, I flip him at the trade deadline regardless of what position I'm in because having seen it here in Calgary, you have to do that with your pending unrestricted free agents regardless of where you are in the standings because it will come back to bite you, I've, I've heard. It's a hot rumor. But I think his value is most in a return if he has no trade protection. you got three or four teams looking to add an impact forward that can play in your yeah. top six, either down the middle or on the wing. And then you just pit this team against that team against that team to drive the price through the roof. And that's going to get you a lot more on the trade market than simply going to Montreal and saying, we accept whatever pick you give us. His QO is 6.65. And this reminds the the road that you're talking about going down reminds me a lot of what Ottawa did with Mark Stone. They knew he was a year away from unrestricted free agency. They signed him to a one-year deal. And that one-year deal was 18-19. He got traded to Vegas at the deadline, signed long-term immediately there. Maybe there's something like that. Could Maybe Montreal's more competitive yes. than, than you're expecting. And all of a sudden, the Habs are like, oh, we're, we're fighting for a playoff spot. Let's pounce now and sign him. Maybe you do it then. And Winnipeg says, well, I mean, do you want him? Do you want him now or do you want to wait? Like, do you, so I anyway. put the pressure on Montreal to make the deal, not the other way around. I like the way that you phrased it, though. You know, like try to give yourself as much leverage as possible in, in this situation with Pierre-Luc Dubois. I think it's the only way you can go and... I'm curious about what he would return if there were two or three or four teams involved. Because I'm curious your opinion on him. He's 24. He'll be 25 by the time the season starts next year. He's roughly a 27 goal, 60 point forward that can play down the middle. He can play on the wing. What do you pay for that in terms of trade? What do you pay for that in terms of salary? Because to me, I'm not certain... I'm willing to just shell out or throw a whole bunch of money at him. He's been very inconsistent. This is the second time he's requested a trade in, what, six and a half, seven years of yeah. being an NHLer? Granted, he would be going to a destination more of his choosing, but I just wonder what he's seen as what he is in terms of trade value and contract value moving forward. Interesting one to watch as we go forward here as we're underway this hour on Sportsnet Today. Game three, Stanley Cup final goes Thursday night tonight in Florida. Panthers trail two games to none, so we know they need a win. I I feel like Florida's got at least one more punch left in them, and maybe a game three all-out effort's all they got left in them. I don't know, but I feel like Florida's got another punch left in them. That's not to say Vegas can't absorb that win in overtime or, or get an incredible Aiden Hill performance and still win, but I feel like we do see Florida's best game of the series tonight. I'm leading Panthers win in Game 3. That's my gut going into this one. I'm curious where you are. 
I'll just pick Vegas to be contrary, and we can we can make a bet off air about Game Three and the outcome and the result. I just and the series has been a lot closer than it looks on paper. Than it looks goals for goals against certain metrics actually had the deserving team to win in Game Two, the Florida Panthers. And if they are going to win, this would be the game. Like I've, if they don't win this one, I I sense a sweep. So and we don't need to overstate the cliche of biggest game of the year and whatnot. And Captain, obviously, you want to turn the series around, you have to start in game three. And to pile on another one, you're never in trouble till you lose on home ice. But I think Vegas, one, has been here before. They've been in these situations. They've got a, they've never gone, climbed to the top of the mountain, but they've certainly fought their way up it. I think that they're just going to be so calm, so composed, that any extracurriculars that might happen that the Florida Panthers might throw at them that they probably should leave out of their game. I think Vegas is just going to be calm and cool rolling into this game three. So you're feeling a Vegas win. I am, yeah. Three. Okay. Let's hear you heard both, it here first. Let's uh, hear from both head coaches. Here's Paul Maurice ahead of their first game on home ice in game three. There's only five possible games left, and you got to win. You know, we got to win four of them, so this one's a big one tonight. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's how everybody comes to the rink. You could kind of soft sell it and say, you know, the math. Yeah, big game. I know this, you know, 20 guys in the lineup and both teams have talked a lot about their depth, but how much better do you need your best players to be? Well, we don't care if our 12th forward scores. Like, it counts as one. We need our best players most likely to be as good or better than their best players. I, I don't feel that we're in game one and two, what was missing was an A player putting it over the top. I don't, I don't think that that's the formula that, that you go through six weeks of hockey where you would say your team was average, but boy, that one guy was good. I, I didn't feel that even with the goaltending when, when Sergei was as good as he was, what he did there is he, turn two series into dying games instead of possibly 12 games, right? Um, yeah, I, I've never, I've never, I, th I think you, the best players go head to head and yours got to be equal. Sam said earlier that this is a different team that we have faced in the playoffs so far based on the physicality. We spoke after game one where the Knights said that the Panthers are trying to bait us into penalties. Is there anything more f from a physical standpoint to impose your will you can do and stay out of the box at the same time? Mm, I think those two things are two completely different ideas. Uh, and I'm leaving that, but I'll answer your question. I, I think the Boston series was more physical than this series. I think we've made this series more physical than it needs to be. We had 22 hits in the first period in game two. You would prorate that out. You don't need 66 hits in a game. Matter of fact, there's an energy cost to that. I think that we have hitters and we've got guys and you need to finish text at time, but I, I don't necessarily need Carter over Hagee having five. Vegas, I think, got the line matchups they wanted. Obviously, at home, you get a chance to get the line matchups you want here. How much of that will benefit Matthew's line in particular? No, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't feel it was a matchup series, and I would say that they run their bench exactly the way Boston did because the Nosek line, the fourth line, would start every game just like you see here, and they'll run them for D-zone draws and they'll flip. They'll run kind of... Uh, a whole bunch of lines. Now there's a few lines with minute, more minutes against, and then, then the second game it's hard to figure out how heavy that match is because I've got 11 forwards and I'm dropping guys down. Um, it'll be more, 
you're you're in a little better position based on where the faceoffs are on the ice to make sure you got a strong faceoff men against certain faceoff guys. This is the first Stanley Cup final game in this arena's history. How excited is are you and your team, regardless of the circumstances with the series? We're we're uh, really excited, even with the circumstances, right? So hold serve. They did what they needed to do. We need we need to win these games at home to hold serve. So yeah, like the difference in all our perceptions of the game is so much until you go back and watch the game very closely the next day without the emotion. It's so much based on the fans, right? You, you crack a bar and the home crowd is going to go berserk, right? You do it on the road and it's a whisper. It's a ooh. You don't get any of that, that feedback. We're on them. You know, you feel like you're on them. So the home crowd, I'm more now than ever because after six weeks of the intensity of playoff hockey, neither teams and they'll both tell you they feel great right but but their bodies are dragging a little bit right now everybody it's it's all adrenaline so getting in front of the home crowd we felt it very very strongly as the playoffs went on certainly we got into carolina uh it felt like a phenomenal home building it's a big building and they'll get going tonight there's head coach paul maurice of the florida panthers you must have been listening to vickers Got to hold serve. You're never in trouble till you lose at home, right? Exactly. Coach. I was hoping you'd say it verbatim so I could take a little victory lap around the studio. Not so much. I, I think you got it. Right. Uh, here's head coach Bruce Cassidy of the Vegas Golden Knights. He's got a lot of veteran leadership inside that room. Guys who have won, guys who have been deep. And uh, he was asked about what that means going into a crucial game three on the road tonight. Well, tonight will be a good example. We're coming into, you know, a, a, a road building. Um, they're down a couple games, so you know that, you know, to expect their best. So those veteran guys will be in, you know, trying to balance being on your toes and playing with composure, right, and, and taking a deep breath when, when it gets loud. So tonight will be a good example of where, you know, especially if, you know, things don't go our way early. You know, you need those calming voices. Game six, you know, we, we had a conversation the night before in Dallas about what was at stake and having those veteran guys you know, help with your messaging there was, was important for us. We probably had our best game of the playoffs coming out of there. So there's different times that they, you know, it comes in uh, between games and then obviously on ice when, when, when the bullets are flying. And, um, you know, you've got to be able to sort of manage your, your, your emotions. And, uh, you know, that, that's when, you know, those guys can help on the bench as well. Bruce, we've talked a lot in these playoffs about Jack Eichel and, you know, his play, his 200-foot game, everything that he does for you on the ice. I'm wondering if you've seen leadership qualities in him, too, through this season and through this run, what he says, what he does on the ice, what he says, what he does in the room, off the ice, and, you know, in meetings and things like that. Yeah, he's not a vocal guy, Dan, by any means. Uh, he'll, he'll talk in, in small groups and talk in his line. But uh, and by that, I mean it when we're, we're just going through video and, and such. He's could probably get more out of him one-on-one, -on -one, I find, in that regard of what his thoughts are. Leadership on the ice, I'll go to the second period when I got hit the other night. He, you know, he picked himself up, uh, you know, got some assistance and sort of got himself squared away between periods and come right back out on the ice and helped us win a hockey game. So to me, that's, you know, a high-character guy and, and, and a guy that basically came out after and said, yeah, I know it was a, it was a hit. I had my head down. Got to play with my head up next and just keep playing through it. He's not looking for anything other than, you know, his next shift. And I give him a lot of credit for that because that's his hardest hit I've just seen in a while. And 
he helped us win a hockey game and, and basically led us by example there. Um, some of the other stuff, uh, work ethic and practice, he's, you know, he's a guy that's out shooting pucks all the time after. He's a uh, very hard worker in practice, takes it seriously, doesn't want days off. So uh, he leads, again, by example, that way for a guy his age. Now, maybe when he's in his 30s and he's got some wear and tear, that'll be a little different. But right now, he knows he has to keep working on his game. So I don't know if those are some examples of what he's done for us. He was a captain in Buffalo, so he can certainly knows how to address the room when he needs to. Um, and he came up with the Elvis wig, and I think it's a big thing for us in our locker room, to be honest with you. So you got to have a little sense of humor or, or a little, you know, creativity as well. I think those things can go a long way over, you know, a long playoff run, and I think that one's been talked about, and I think all the guys want to get it. So uh, good for him for coming up with it. So that is head coach Bruce Cassidy of the Vegas Golden Knights. Puck drop is 6 o'clock in Florida for Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. You've got a Vegas win. I've got a Florida win. Yes, that is correct. Teams that have taken a 3 nothing lead, it's happened 28 times in NHL history, 27 wins. The lone loss, Toronto rallied back from a 3-0 deficit against Detroit in 1942. So we're talking about something that almost hasn't happened in 100 years. Pretty critical for the Florida Panthers. Uh, coming up on Saturday, we will be live on location for a little special Saturday Sportsnet today from Trail Appliances. Join us there from 11 o'clock till 1 p.m. Saturday. We're grilling with the Flames alumni. Trail Appliances at 6880 11th Street Southeast. We've got a meet and greet with Flames alumni. We've got a pay-by donation barbecue lunch with all proceeds going to Brown Baggin for Cal kids. A chance to win a brand new barbecue value to $2,200 and we'll be on location and come say hi to us as well if uh, if you've got time. Trail Appliances, family owned and operated for 48 years with barbecues in stock, including Canadian made Napoleon. For more details, visit sportsnet.ca slash 960. Back to Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Steinberg along with you on this Thursday. A big Thursday because it's the first Thursday, the first day of the 2023 CFL regular season. It kicks off Thursday night, McMahon Stadium in Northwest Calgary for the Stamps and the BC Lions. And we got four games on tap for a uh, jammed week one with some really good matchups. Kickoff tonight, 7 o'clock at McMahon for game one of the 2023 CFL season. Let's dive right in to week one of the season and very happy to welcome back Chris O'Leary from CFL.ca to the program on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to uh, preview week one. Chris, welcome back and uh, it's go time. We find after a long off season, after all that free agency, after uh, lots of stories through the off season and a training camp and preseason. Here we go. We're ready to rock. I am, uh, I am quite excited for a brand new campaign. Yeah, no, I, uh, I sense that from you, and uh, no, I, I, I am too. It's, um, I, I feel like, uh, I don't know if it's just because I'm, I'm working in the league, and, and maybe you feel it because you work closely with, with the league as well, but the off-seasons start to feel longer and longer for me each year, and uh, yeah, it's uh, felt like it's taken forever, and then at the same time, you know, you're here, it's you know a few hours away, and it feels like it's, uh, yeah. it's almost come too fast. But um, no, very, very excited. And um, yeah, really, uh, really happy it starts off tonight with, uh, with Calgary and BC. Well, yeah, and, and, and especially knowing how good the last game of 2022 was and uh, what a perfect exclamation mark on the season that was. 
Yeah, it's been a long time since we've seen meaningful football, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, let's dive right in, um, and we'll kind of go through each of these week one matchups, and, and we'll start with the Stampeders here in Calgary because it's Jake Mayer's time. He took over from Bo Levi Mitchell last year, but now is the guy. He's your week one starting quarterback, and for the first time ever, he is the guy for the Stamps and in pro football. How are you feeling about Jake leading the way for the Stampeders? Um, I mean, I would say overall, I feel very, uh, very confident in, in, you know, I think w- what he's going to do. But um, at, at the same time, I, I keep thinking about, uh, you, you mentioned the, the Grey Cup. Uh, I remember a conversation I had with Jim Barker uh, at Grey Cup week, and, and he was talking about um, how difficult it can be for uh, a, a quarterback to go into that first full season as a starter. And I think at the time we were talking about uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson having had just gone through it last year. Uh, you know, and now you see Jake Mayer heading into that as well. And I think, in one sense, he knows what to expect because he he got about half of a little more than half, I believe, of, of last season in as a starter. But um, I, I think there's a different kind of pressure when mm-hmm. you're that guy, and and you know, and the responsibility falls squarely on you. Like this time a year ago, you know, he, I'm, I'm sure he was going in thinking about supporting in, in whatever way he could and kind of finding his niche on the team. And uh, you know, I, I think that's a different mentality than uh, having to go in from day one. You know, you've got a whole off season built around what, where they're building an offense around you. Uh, you know, training camp offensively is all about you. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just, it's just a different thing. I mean, I think he'll handle that. And I think he, you know, he's, I think he's kind of built to deal with something like that, but, um, you know, it, it is a unique challenge and, you know, you don't really know until you see these guys go out there and, and, and kind of perform in, in that starting role. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, I know Vicky Hall had a, a nice story about, um, bully by Mitchell and Jake Mayer today on, on, on CFL.ca. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed like Dave Dickinson and the, the players on the team seem to have kind of, gravitated to him you know it seems like they're fully behind him um i think dave dickinson said you know he's, he's got that that leadership quality where, where um players gravitate to him and i think i think that's so essential in a quarterback um you know i, I think we know all the, the the intangibles are there and uh, now we just have to, to go out and see it i, I think he'll do it but I, I think there there certainly can be challenges in that first year when it's uh you know when, when you're solely the guy driving yeah. the car well, and and it's it's kind of interesting on the BC front because the Lions is a lot of hype surrounding them going into this year, especially knowing how well they played last year. But a big reason for their success last year is no longer with them in Nathan Rourke now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've got Vernon Adams, they've got Dane Evans to to help stem that tide. They've got some really really high end playmakers on the offensive side of the ball as well. I'm I'm curious what, what your thoughts on the Lions and and especially comparable to the high expectations they have coming into the year uh, no I, I think you're spot on i think um i think i think there there are expectations because you know you i mean i, I think first off you, you give neil mcavoy and, and rick campbell a ton of credit for um the way they've handled their quarterbacks just in, in the last few years you know you, you go from the transition of losing mike riley at the time you know you think that that could be a catastrophic thing that sets an organization back um you know but they've got nathan Rourke in the wings and, and the way he goes and you know he was he, he had this amazing season that created this opportunity for him um you know and he gets injured Vernon Adams comes in and uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's such a strong team built around that quarterback position. And uh, for, for Vernon Adams, I think this is really, you know, I think he's 30 now. This is kind of a golden opportunity in his career. And uh, he's, he's a guy that's shown uh, a ton of potential and, you know, that, that dual threat, he's an exciting quarterback. I think when things were going well for him in, in Montreal in 2019, um, you know, they were kind of like those cardiac kids, uh, you know, were, were capable of anything in terms of comebacks. No, no leads were safe. Uh, you know, and, and then he ended up losing the, the starting job in Montreal. Um, I, I think he's got, as you said, just kind of 
all this talent around him. Uh, I mean, running backs may be a bit of a question this year with uh, losing James Butler, mm-hmm. but um, you know, if, if they can solve that, um, I'm confident that, that they, you know, have, have some guys there that they're they're happy with. Um, there, there's so much opportunity there offensively. It's such a strong team, really in all three phases. Um, you know, I, I think if you can come in, if, it feels like such a big ask in one sense to just not skip a beat from losing Nathan Rourke to go out and continue to play at this high level. I think Vernon Adams is capable of it. Um, I think consistency is the thing that's kind of dogged him the, the, the last few years. Um, you know, so, something we, we had this week, uh, you know, just, just thinking about possible MOP candidates and, you know, I, I think the opportunity is there for someone like Vernon Adams to, to kind of take that and run with it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think the one encouraging stat that I saw from him last year was, uh, I believe it was six touchdowns thrown to one in his time, to one interception in his time in BC last year. Uh, if he can keep that up, if, if he can just stay productive, really take care of the ball and then kind of bring that dual threat, you know, I, I think, um, you know, sky's the limit really for this team. And, you know, they kind of showed what they're capable of last year as a whole. Um, you know, I think they've still got a very good quarterback there in Adams and uh, yeah, it's, it's there for them to take. And uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be exciting to see. Let's move on to Friday's action. So Calgary and BC kicks it off on Thursday, week one of the CFL season. Friday night football has Winnipeg and Hamilton and another offseason where the Bombers run it back. I mean, really, pretty much every core member of the group is back. Greg Ellingson is out and Casey Sales signed in Hamilton. But otherwise, they bring Kenny Lawler back. And I know that we're waiting. We'll have to wait for him to make his debut. But it's the... The Bombers look almost identical to the team that was a field goal away from winning a third straight Grey Cup last year. So as they run it back again, are they still the unquestioned favorite for you? To me, they are. Um, I, I mean, I think uh, the, the only thing that maybe slows them down is father time, right? They've, um, they've got this amazing core. And I mean, you, you said as well, just the, the ability to kind of keep bringing these guys back year after year in a league where, you know, basically built on short-term one to two year contracts. Um, you know, there's so much um, movement and, and just, and just uh, players are, are never, you know, settled very long. It's very transient uh, as a whole for, for the bombers to, I guess, build that culture up. And, and, you know, I, I think everyone there kind of recognizes what they have. Um, I, I think it's, it's kind of a testament to just what they've been doing, what, what Michael Shea and then Kyle Walters have been doing and building these last few years. Um, yeah, the only question I have, though, is, is just that. It's just how long can they do it, right? This core gets older and yeah. older. Um, I think that's that's really the only knock against them, right? I mean, the the, the losses in free agency have been minimal. Um, and even <laughs> the, the few moves they made, they, they go back and they, they get Kenny Waller and, uh, and Sergio Castillo. And, uh, you know, they're, they're two guys that, that were part of that 2021 team. I, I think they're they're in a tremendous position to get back to that great cup game and, and keep winning. Um, you know, I, I thought about it. In the sense of um, you know when they they lost that Great Cup game last year, um, you know I, I thought back to being a kid and watching the Oilers in their uh, their dynasty years in the '80s, right? And they had that one blip in the middle, and you know and won two more, and then I think I think got another in '90 if, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, um, and I, I think it's similar with the Bombers. I think if, as, as long as they can stay healthy and uh, and keep that group together, and I, mean, I think they're going to have to develop some younger guys as, as they move along here. But um, there, there's something special there, and I, I think there's no reason why, as, as long as they're healthy, that they uh, they can't be the team to beat again this year. Well, for the longest time, Chris, the team they play on Friday, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, you know, the, they, they were a team that 
didn't make a ton of change. You know, they, they, they would add, but they also had themselves a very established core, uh, both on offense and specifically that defensive group. Well, that all changed this winter, and they underwent all kinds of change on both sides of the ball. It's a brand-new look Hamilton Tiger Cats team. We know Bo Levi Mitchell's there. They've brought in the aforementioned Butler at running back in a really nice move. They've got a much different-looking receiving group. Their defense is very, very different than what we saw last year with you know, Jameer Thurman in and some really important players out. What What's your read on Hamilton here after all the change they went through? Um, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's going to be fun to uh, to watch and, and kind of find out how this uh, kind of chemistry project goes for them. Um, I mean, I, I think one thing that, that always jumps out to me about this league, one thing that I love about it is um, the teams that struggle, the teams that um, miss the playoffs or, or just kind of barely drag themselves into the playoffs, maybe the way that the Ticats did this this past year, um, you know, they, they can have an eventful off season and they can turn around and, you know, they can, they can win 10, 12, 14 games and be right back in it the next year. Um, I think that's possible for Hamilton, but um, it, it, it is going to be tough. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think just as often as you see teams rebound and make these things work, um, you know, there are a ton of problems that you can run into along the way. And uh, it's certainly a challenge to bring, so many new faces into a room. Um, you know, I, I think you need to reestablish leadership groups and, and, and things like that. I think believe by Mitchell from everything I've seen out of uh, camp and everything I've, I've heard him say, it sounds like he's doing that. And uh, you know, which, which I think is crucial, but um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be really fun to try and to watch them try and bring this together. Um, you know, I, I think it's really entertaining just to see an organization that's hosting the great cup this year, just go all in and just say, you know what? We, we lost that one in a heartbreaker two years ago. Uh, you know, they're hosting again. They probably, I would imagine, not host again for a long time, right? You're mm-hmm. not, not going to host it every second year. So this is a pretty unique opportunity for the, that organization. I think they recognize that. Um, I mean, even the coaching staff, right? I mean, um, I think they, they've, they've built up a really solid group there. And then um, very last minute, you know, they, they were able to pull Jeff Reinbold and add Scott Milanovic. And, uh, you know, to me, that's just, that's just an organization that wants to win this season and, uh, you know, is, is willing to do whatever it can to uh, to try and get there. I think it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. We're talking with Chris O'Leary of CFL.ca previewing week one of the 2023 season, which kicks off Thursday night tonight at McMahon Stadium for the Stamps and the BC Lions. Uh, let's move to action further into the weekend. So we've gone through Thursday. We've gone through Friday. Saturday, it's Montreal and Ottawa in Montreal. Red Blacks are a team that, you know, I... I felt that the record maybe didn't show exactly how competitive they were last year. All the one-score games they lost. They lost uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli so early on in the season. They've made a lot of changes as well. Sean Burke in his second year at the helm as general manager of that team. I, I, I guess I have high hopes for Ottawa. I don't know if I have... I'm not talking about them winning the division, but I have high hopes they can take a, a step or two this year. What about you on, on this Red Blacks group? No, I'm with you. I mean, I go back to last year as well when they had, um, on paper, this amazing-looking roster, right? And Masoli, we only got to see four games before he uh, he had his leg broken and, and, you know, is still on the mend from that. I think injuries have just really clouded uh, the potential of this team. And, you know, unfortunately, I mean, it kind of seems like they're they're still in that spot. You know, uh, you see the news this week about Masoli is going to need another couple of weeks. I think Jovan Santos knocks uh, two weeks as well. Uh, you know, I, we saw their injury report come out this evening and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty deep and, uh, you know, that, that kind of takes a little bit, a bit of the oomph out of the start of their season, but, um, you know, it's, it is early. There's, there's, uh, 18 or 17 more games after, after this week for these guys. Um, I think if they can get healthy, I think there's a ton of potential there. 
And, you know, I, I wouldn't even rule out um, a, a shot at the East. I, I feel like the East is pretty wide open. And, you know, we talked about Hamilton and the change they've gone through. Um, you know, the Argos have a major change of quarterback, maybe not the rest of the spots on that roster. They seem pretty stacked. Um, and, and Montreal went through a ton of change as well. So I feel like the East is open. And, um, you know, if, if they're healthy, um, I, I just, yeah, I feel like we haven't seen what this team can actually be. Uh, I would love to see that. I, I think uh, I think Masoli is as an MOP caliber type player when he's on the field and you know able to contribute. Uh, I think the sooner we can get to that point, uh, you know, we'll get that accurate view of the team. It, it's yeah, it's there for him. I think they just they they got to get the the injury bug out of the locker room and uh, you know and then we we can see what they've got. And then the team they play is the Montreal Alouettes. They had a they had a turbulent offseason with some ownership woes. They got that figured out, and that's good news. And the Cody Fajardo era begins. How, how much of a chip on his shoulder do we think Cody's got going into his first year with the Owls? I think that both shoulders are just riddled with <laughs> <laughs> all the way over. I think um, I, I don't. I mean, I think that's that's kind of a common theme for a lot of the quarterbacks in the years this league. But I mean, I think Cody Cody Fajardo might be at the the front of that pack. Um, I, I, I'm sure he feels extremely slighted by the way things went in Saskatchewan. Um, I mean, even I mean, I, I think back to you know they weren't mathematically out of the playoffs, and they kind of just decided, you know, you're done, and we're going to look at, at Mason Fine and, and all of our other options, and uh, that, that had to be deflating for 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 Cody. Um, I, I think he's got uh, a, a ton to prove. I think he, he feels like that. Um, I think, I think there's a, there's a good opportunity there for him in Ottawa. I think, you know, he, he, uh, he goes to a, a team where there's a, a far better offensive line situation. And, you know, I think the one thing I always said in, in defense of Cody Fajardo through last year was it, you put any quarterback in the league behind that offensive line last year. If, you know, if they're giving up 77 sacks, you're not going to have a chance to, to do much of anything. Right. Um, I think there's a there's a great player there in, in Cody Fajardo. Um, I think Montreal could be the right situation. There's going to be some challenges there for that team too. I mean, receiver depth seems like one of them. Uh, but um, you know, he, he's such a strong dual threat quarterback that um, you know I, I think he can improvise and make things work there. And uh, you know, they're going to have to rely on some kind of unheralded, uh, kind of lesser name receivers to step up the season if they can get that. I think there's uh, there's something there. I, I think there's a good season there for him if. Uh, if, if it works out for him. And finally, let's uh, finish with Sunday's game, and that's Edmonton at home to the new-look Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And it's year two for Chris Jones at head coach and GM, and, and historically year two has been really good for Jones at the yeah. helm of teams, whether it was Edmonton or, or Saskatchewan, and now he's back with the Elks. They have not won a home game since, what, October 2019. They're calling Sunday guaranteed win day against the Riders. But I guess I guess the big picture, what do we feel about how the Elks have, have gone about their business this offseason? And the little picture is, can they win a home game in week one? I mean, if if they can do it, would I feel like it would just kind of take all the pressure off that team yeah and uh you know we we watched them i'm i'm, I'm encouraged i mean I, I i don't know i think i picked them to win in the in our picks this week but um you know i i look at how they i did too by the way the season. yeah yeah i think it's it's there for them i think they, they could do it um you look at the way they've closed out the season um you know and they obviously they weren't winning at home but they they played some good games in that probably last third and uh you know we, we saw taylor cornelius kind of come into his own and kind of play his way into that that contract extension gives him a little bit of security. And I mean, in a sense, he's another guy too, that's, you know, had the benefit of a full off season where it's been about him. He knows his spot on his team. Uh, he went through training camp. The offense was kind of 
you know, built around him and everything kind of centers around him as a quarterback. Uh, so I, th- I think he's, he's in a good spot. Uh, he has maybe the best receiving core in the league in terms of high end talent around him. Right. Um, so it's, it's there. Uh, I mean, I think the streak has to end this year at some point, it would be incredible for them just to, to get it done this week. And, uh, you know, give the, give the fans something to go home happy about and, uh, you know, just, just build some momentum. I think um, maybe even more than they realize, I think that's probably a huge mental block for them. And I think once they get past it, um, you know, I, I think things will just kind of level off for them and they can kind of approach this like a normal season. And finally, Saskatchewan, and they, they made lots of changes as well, and, and their big thrust or, or kind of, kind of their, their bigger moves were focused on the offensive side of the ball. They signed Trevor Harris. They brought in Jake Wineke along with them. They've got a, uh, an interesting receiving group, a brand-new receiving group there. Um, this is a Riders team that was really frustrating for that market last year, and a lot of people were upset with the way things went down the stretch when they finished with that losing skid and they missed. They targeted their offensive line, as you mentioned uh, uh, a little bit earlier. They they need to be a whole lot better there, and they've added they added a new quarterback. I'm uh, I'm I'm really curious about this Riders team, and and I I personally, as much as being in Calgary, I, I hate to say it, I think the team that's maybe getting undervalued the most, even though I chose the Elks to win Week One, I think the Riders have themselves a, a really good potential season in them. What are you looking at in Saskatchewan? I think so. I mean, I mean, first I'm looking at that offensive line. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the story there until it isn't right. I mean, they, they, they have to be able to protect the quarterback. It doesn't matter who's there. Um, I mean, I almost worry more about someone like Trevor Harris, who, who isn't, uh, you know, as, as fleet footed as, as Fajardo. Um, he needs that protection probably even more, right. He needs the time to operate. Um, I think the upside of that is, you know, and we saw it last year, he kind of had a, a resurgence in Montreal. Um, if he gets that protection, if he gets good offensive line play, um, he can produce, right? I mean, I think he was over 4,000 yards last year. Um, there's no reason to think, you know, if, if, if he has the protection that he can't do that or more again. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's where it starts. I mean, defensively, I think that's that's a really strong team. Um, I think that, that defensive line is is really appealing to me. Um, but I think it was, it was P. Robertson, right, that was hurt uh, yeah. four games in when, when they were off to such a good start, and I think he was a big part of that. And then uh, goes down with an injury, and then, and then the season really just started to slip away from them there. And um, yeah, I, I think if, if if they have the offensive line play, um, I, I mean it'll probably just have a, a big trickle down effect on the on the rest of the team. If they know that they've got that, they know they can operate offensively, they can stay in games. Um, I mean it, it it changes everything, and then uh, you know it kind of just sky's the limit for them if if they've got that protection. Great stuff, Chris. I cannot wait for kickoff at McMahon. I cannot wait for week one. Got some really good matchups. It's awesome to have the Canadian Football League back for the 2023 season. Enjoy it. We'll talk again, and uh, good luck this weekend. I know you'll be busy. Be busy, but it'll be a fun one, for sure. Thanks, Chris. It's Chris O'Leary of CFL.ca joining us to uh, wrap up this hour of Sportsnet Today. Stamps, Lions at McMahon Stadium with three more games after that. As we start to wrap up this hour of Sportsnet Today, I did want to read a text just as we go out because somebody was Ooh. very somebody was very mad on the text line that I have the gall to suggest that New York was maybe the most famous city in the world, and I called it the biggest city in North America. So, first of all... Um, it's the biggest North American city in the NHL was what I was getting at. Yes, Mexico City is, I think, one of the like, top five largest cities in the world and also resides in North America. So I know that Mexico City is larger than New York. I am aware of that. So, okay, it's like this, this person is very upset that a 
most famous. What about Hollywood, London, Rome, or Paris? I don't think I'm off base suggesting that New York's the most famous city in the world. And maybe not for everybody, but I don't, it's not like I said Red, I know I'm not going to, oh. no, I'm not, I love, I love Red Deer. I was just thinking of a smaller city. I love Red Deer. Grand Prairie. So, you can go Grand Prairie. No, because that? that's where I got my start. So yeah, I'm not that's saying, where I'm from. So. I'm not saying a bad thing about GP. I will. Um, Oops, just kidding. Hmm, where's, uh, where's, it's not like I said Cheyenne, Wyoming. It's not like I said oh, Cheyenne, Wyoming pull. is the most famous city in the world. You have an argument. You have an now. Don't get me wrong. Certain places, London, Barcelona, so on and so forth, they have arguments too. But I don't think you're so far off base. New York's not my favorite city in the world, but like I feel like there are more songs per capita written about New York. Taylor than- Swift, Jay Z, Frank Sinatra. Oh yeah, that guy. I just feel like there are more songs written about the Bronx and Manhattan and Brooklyn than the boroughs. Paris is like my favorite place on the planet. Berlin I hear you're is like going back, favorite. by the way. That is the plan, yeah. All Can't right. Wait Can't wait to talk about it. Uh, okay. Have a, uh, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You're more than welcome, Patrick. Anytime. He's Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. As uh, we start to wrap things up, by the way, uh, thank you to Chris O'Leary of CFL.ca. He joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344.